Hi, friends. I talk a lot about systems thinking on this podcast and thought I'd share one of the most potent actions you can take if you feel moved to be a different kind of leader for the 21st century. At Small Giants Academy, we developed our answer to the traditional MBA. We call it the MBE, a mastery of business and empathy. The MBE is a truly groundbreaking program which equips leaders with the tools, strategies, networks and philosophies to lead with purpose in these troubled times. Applications are open now for 2025. So head to smallgiants.com.au forward slash MBE to learn more and sign up. Hi, gang. Oh, my God. It's so nice to see you all. Yay. We can still do this. We can find each other at lunchtime on a Monday. And we have the magnificent Ronnie Khan with us. What a treat. Yeah, I'd like to acknowledge the Indigenous custodians of this land wherever you are. I meet on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and I pay my deep respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Thanks, Ronnie. Thank you. So this magnificent human we have with us is the CEO and founder of Oz Harvest. It's an incredible, incredible organisation, Australia's leading food rescue organisation. Ronnie started it with a van in Sydney and now it's all across Australia and they pretty much rescue surplus food from shops and restaurants and it's nourishing food and they they give it to the most vulnerable in Australia. It's really an incredible model and they're educating thousands of people about food and how to eat well and how to kind of, um, avoid food waste. And Ronnie has had a particularly interesting time over this period, um, which we're going to hear a bit more from her about, and how to adapted the model um, and still been really innovative and important and useful and valuable during this time. So they've been, uh, I've got some stats here, five to 10,000 meals a week to the vulnerable, one to 5,000 hampers, uh, really extraordinary, extraordinary work. Uh, before we go into the conversation, we've also got um, a special treat for you all today. In the last maybe five or ten minutes of our conversation, we've got Lydia Fairhall, uh, who you may remember we had a chat with her a few weeks back. She's going to um, sing, uh, share a song with us, which is super special. Um, Lydia is our Small Giants artist in residence, so we've got this program running where we invite artists to share their creative practice with us, join in in our meetings, kind of brainstorm with us, collaborate with us across all of the small giants' work. And Lydia is our, is our um, resident this week. So we've invited her along to the conversation to, to sing a song. So we'll um, do that in the last five or ten minutes. Um, Lydia, good to have you with us, you beautiful human. Um, let's, do a, let's do a short meditation together uh, and drop in. Um, getting comfy wherever you are, maybe closing down your eyes and just feeling the connection points between your body and the earth. Feeling supported, feeling held. And paying attention to the inhale and the exhale of your breath.
and noticing how your body is feeling today. How are you arriving to our chat together? And just letting that go. And I'm going to invite you to to call to mind something from the weekend or the past week you've just had, something that has felt essential to you. Whatever that word brings up for you, just holding that something that has felt essential. And thinking about how it's nourished you, even in the simplest way. And gently letting that go. And when you're ready, coming back to the Zoom room. So, Ronnie, <laughs> to, um, to check in with you. <laughs> How has this time been? How have, you, how have you been processing all of the change, all that we're working through in these past few months? Where are you at? So I think that the place I'm at is actually immense gratitude, just immense gratitude for so many things, from the macro to the micro, the macro that we're in Australia. I mean, how extraordinarily fortunate are we to be in this country right now? Mm. And to my team, to my extraordinary people, because every single thing about Oz Harvest is the sum of its parts and it's my team. So it's been a fascinating time. We hold a major event every single year in March. This year it was the 31st of March and it is our signature fundraiser. We invite 1,500 of our recipients to this event and we invite business leaders. It's our major fundraiser. And this year it was due to take place on the 31st of March. And as you can appreciate, first week of March, it was like, 
People were still, the fundraising was happening. Everything was going great. By the second week in March, our government still had not called for public gatherings to stop. None of that. But somehow I woke up on the 14th of March and just said, this is it. I've got to pull this event. There is no way this event could take place. So that was a huge call. My staff weren't 100%. They said, let's just wait till after the weekend. Mm -hmm. But I said, no, we've got to do it now. We've got to lead. We've got to know and see what's happening. So that was a huge thing for us. So that, first of all, we come out of bushfires, you know. We, we spent the whole summer in bushfires amplifying our work, but also because so much focus was on bushfires, people weren't thinking about food relief. People weren't thinking about people, homelessness or people who needed it. And so we came out of bushfires already knowing that from a fundraising point of view, things were going to be, it was going to be an interesting year. Then we go into COVID. We lose our event, which normally would bring us in around $3 million. Then we realize no face-to-face. And one of our most beautiful programs is our team-building events. We run one of the biggest cooking schools in Australia. And so no, no people able to come in. So apart from the loss of that connection, losing another $2 million was not a great beginning in March. But, you know, we have have absolutely pivoted. My team Mm. have been extraordinary. The focus became food rescue, food relief, Mm. because the minute we realized that within such a short while, the numbers went up immediately of people in need. Mm. And in that first, you know, that last week in March and the first couple of weeks in April, the levels of food fluctuated so much that we actually had no food. And it was, what were we going to do? And to the credit, and I have to acknowledge the Australian government because we called and said, there is no money. And literally overnight, a million dollars came into our account to allow us to help buy food because we've never purchased food. Our harvest has only ever rescued food only ever rescued surplus to make sure that the good food that is there goes to feed those in need. But that's evened out significantly and there is food. In fact, April was the biggest month of food collection we've ever had. One of the reasons for the very sad reason that our hospitality industry closed down. So every single person called us, everyone in the industry and said, come and collect our surplus so that at least it doesn't go to waste. And it wasn't surplus. It was what they had planned to use. Thousands of tons of food, you know, from places like domestic air lounges, from hotels, from casinos that are prepared. People have eaten beautifully in the last, <laughs> in the last while. <laughs> yeah. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> I was going to ask about what you've noticed um, in terms of the people in need, the vulnerable people over this time. How have you noticed? What have you observed? Yeah, in- the cohort has changed completely. Really? Yeah. So the stereotype of vulnerable homeless person is, in our minds, it's not correct, but is elderly, mainly male, you know, the guys that we may or may not see on a street corner. But actually, out of the 5 million people who suffer from food insecurity every year, a quarter of those are youth 
um, a, a high percentage are women. And so that, even just that notion. But what's happened in the last eight weeks is that a million more people have joined that group. And those are people who've never needed food relief before. These are younger. These are just a completely de different demographic, people who might have suddenly both lost their jobs. And JobKeeper Financial Assistance has only just started trickling mm. through. So for six weeks, there have been people who've suddenly found themselves, you know, we all know that, in fact, we live, some of us, maybe three salaries away from challenge. And so when your employment gets lost from beneath you, that cohort has definitely changed, mm. and so is what we do. I mean, food is a human right. Every single one of us deserves and must have food to survive. What we realized was there were many people in isolation, many people who couldn't actually get food or actually prepare food for themselves. And so we've gone from maybe preparing 500 to 1,000 meals a week to preparing between eight and 10,000 cook meals a week and getting that out. So the first thing we did was look at the most important core to our business, which was food relief. The other part of what we did that we've never done before was this notion of food boxes or food hampers. In Victoria, between now and the next eight to 12 weeks, we will be delivering out 20,000 food boxes that are made with nutritional, beautiful content based on our education programs. And that's really the core of Oz Harvest. I mean, Oz Harvest was created because there was food and there were people in need. Connecting those two is the very essence of what we do. Yeah, it's been so inspiring to watch how you've pivoted the model. You've mentioned purchasing food, and I also saw that you've redeployed all your staff and that some of the people that were teaching in the education program are now packing hampers. Interested in what are the kind of the gems of, of leadership that you can share with us and how it's worked so well, how you've managed? I think really from that that middle of March day, every single day, my management team and I have a meeting at 9.30 every morning. And the other thing we've done is we've communicated back to the whole business every day. Stay connected. We're all bumbling through this together, but we bumbled in a very beautiful way because that bumbling seems to have produced extraordinary results. Mm. There's a question there from Rachel. How will you manage to deliver all those boxes? Do you need extra volunteer drivers? And I suspect a lot of people on this call will be wanting to know how they can engage with your work at this time. How can we yeah. help support? Um, well, it's very beautiful. Thank you for offering. And we are looking at how we re-engage with volunteers. So stay close and please go onto our website to the ozharvest.org where it says give time. And register your interest because, of course, we want people. Currently, we are delivering out with our front line. We have still got, we've, we've rented more vehicles. We've put more drivers on. And we are currently managing, but, but we might very well need volunteers. So thank you. Just stay tuned on that and so will we. Mm. 
There's a lot of different questions before we veer into that. I was looking at a big presentation last night about how long the job keeper is going to go, how long the job seeker is going to go, the idea of, I think I'm quite obsessed with the idea of Australia becoming a resilient bubble. Like, what are you sensing into the next six months? Because I'm a bit worried that we're going to all think we're back into business as usual, but actually the statistics of unemployment are so enormous that they're not actually telling us straight up. So what are you hearing? What are you seeing? So I have to say I am, as you know, and as you've identified, incredibly optimistic. But the most important thing, and, and I, do, I do have uncertainty around what our future, even as a charity, looks like and even as being deemed an essential service because Whilst our government has absolutely reacted on the care side, they have now put the economic recovery front and foremost. And economic recovery means one, opening up and and removing the bubble that we've been in. COVID hasn't changed. Nothing about COVID has changed. What's changed is we've contained it. And by going back into our economic recovery does not mean that we won't need. From a food relief point of view, we know that it's only going to get worse. And we are not assured that there will be government funding. And we do know that philanthropic funding is going to be down significantly given the amount of people that are now in need. So From our points of view, we busy strategizing, planning on where our funding is going to come from because we can't, we'd never relied on government before. A part of me says we will need to rely on government in the future. And if the talk of pulling back and going back into that uncaring society, we, all of us listening here, have to remember and be absolutely active are not allowing this to happen, you know, and and being those voices together with all of us. South Africa Harvest launched last year and, you know, between last year and March, I think they had done 60,000 meals and between March and now they do like 100,000 meals a day. It's just extraordinary. But one of the things they did, and it's it's not, at this stage, it's not a solution here, but I just want to share, they went into community because they didn't have enough food. And they do food drives in suburban areas. I mean, we've got to take into account that in South Africa, 19 million people need food relief every day. You know, there's a it's a very different but but it's what community can do, and it's very beautiful. So I will love to have your the collective wisdom for brainstorming with us. Uh, there was a great question here, Ronnie. With COVID effectively placing hospitality venues in hibernation, what has happened to the primary producers supplying produce for these markets? Have the crops been saved or repurposed? Could these be purchased in a co-op format? So thanks. It's a great question. And the first place we chose to spend our money was with those suppliers to the hospitality industry and it's ongoing because they did lose their source of income. And absolutely. So is there, 
you know, they're all, many of them have become so beautifully um, resilient in terms of creating boxes and, and reaching out directly to all of us as customers. This idea of how um, business as usual will change and how it can pivot and how we can bridge between the two, it's really a challenge. It's huge. And also how we as individuals kind of maintain resilience through all of these challenges, you know, and I'm, I'm interested in what you've observed in the resilience piece, Ronnie. You know, how well, I, I think people do not do well under uncertainty, even, even the most resilient. And I think that we're reaching that point, you know, two months in, that the stress and the the tension of not knowing. There's a lot of tension around not knowing. It's no mistake, and I think a gov- the government again has shown its strength on Friday by investing another $48 million in mental health. It's needed, you know. I've got a 200 people in my staff. There are varying degrees of levels of huge anxiety. You know, we all, we, every single one of us feels it in different ways. And I think getting help, recognizing that this is an uncertain time and you need certainty over certain things. And I think that's what helps. If you know that you've got food, if you know that you've got a roof, if you know that you have got a job, those things are the frameworks that help us to keep us structured. But many people find the external lack of structure very scary. Mm. And we have to recognise that and be compassionate and be empathic and and, and support that. Mm. And I feel like you have the added blessing of, as you said before, having found your calling and being able to do this, something that you feel very, that feels very meaningful work to you every day. And I wondered maybe if you could take us back to that transition time in your life when you were working in hospitality and then kind of saw this opportunity to really live into um, the work that you're now doing. It's funny because I just have been, I, my memoir, my, my yeah, book you're writing your book. is yeah. coming out and I'm on the last edit and the whole of yesterday I had to read these chapters. So I'm very well versed. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> So I guess, um, yeah, having worked in the hospitality industry, I definitely, for years, I didn't recognize how much food was going to waste. I mean, I recognized it. I just did nothing about it. And it was one particular event on one particular night that it was just this glorious event. And we're talking at least 17 years, 18, 19 years ago, that my events were sort of legendary and it was for a thousand people for a corporate and I decided to do food stations and every food station was like a Roman banquet. Wheels of parmesan, boxes of precious produce, vats of wine and barrels of beer. And my thousand guests arrived, they went for the beer and the wine, they got pissed in like an hour And all the food that was there to prevent them getting pissed didn't really even get touched. And that was that unconscionable moment that it's one thing throwing away some meals left over in a hotel kitchen, but another looking at these boxes. Mm. And so we ran, filled my car up 
and I went to the one charity I knew. And it was easy. I mean, it was hard and it was confronting because it was three in the morning and knocking on a door and saying, will you take this food? But that opened that door for me to say, wow, I could do this. It took a long time still from that and rescuing many more meals, you know, cupcakes and stuff to actually reaching that point of knowing that I had this idea could actually be something. But I I never planned to start a charity. I never planned to do any of that. The more I did, the more I just realized, boy, I thought I was happy putting on events and living my event life, which I was. I was creating a beautiful moment for individuals, and that filled me with joy. But it's nothing like knowing that what you're doing has an impact that is immediate, that is real, that takes a mother who stops me in a street and says, I want to thank you. And I say, why? I don't even know this woman. And she says, "My, you gave us food when my kid was at school and he couldn't concentrate and never, he was outside of the class because they, he just, he was starving and we got food and he's just gone to university. So, so yeah, when you live in that place, but, but it's not about starting a charity. It's not about being big. It's about recognizing the harmony within ourselves. It's about knowing that we treat our children beautifully, that we treat the bus driver beautifully, that when we do get a coffee, that we acknowledge the barista that's used his skills to making it. All of that brings purpose, meaning, and fulfillment to life. You are incredible, Ronnie. <laughs> I am blessed. Mm-hmm. I am blessed. That's, yeah, I, I came across something. Well, I didn't. It came across me and took over, and, and I've been just amazingly fortunate with the people that have joined forces. I, I do not do this alone. I have all these extraordinary people who philanthropically support us and who work in my team and who are out there making food right now while I'm talking to you and delivering food. Every three seconds, a meal gets delivered at our harvest. We are all in this, honestly, all stronger together. So much remarkable leadership from you, Ronnie, and um, I really feel... We, everyone on this um, call is feeling incredibly lucky to have had a window into your soul today and to understand how profound your work is. And when can we look out for the book, Ronnie? When will... Oh, yeah. Well, it will be launched in September. I okay. think there's pre-ordering opportunities since now there's no book, there's no literary fairs, there's no face-to-face yeah. launches the way they were yeah. going to You won't be touring the country, yeah. Yeah, but my <laughs> publisher is Murdoch and the book is called A Repurposed Life, The Story of Finding Your True Calling. Beautiful. So I think that's a big question for a lot of people in our community and around the world, but definitely people who show up to, to Dumbo Feather in particular is how to do that, how to find that purpose, how to find that hum of your own meaning making 
in this life and like you said how that brings you so much gratitude every morning I feel the same um and that it's different for everyone but I'm and you have a lot of gold nuggets there to share with us on the how of it. I hope so. I hope that's what people get out of the book. It's just what I've learned and, mm. and what I want people to take away, that it's every one of us has the ability. It's all inside of us. Yeah. Thank you, Ronnie. Will we invite Lydia to sing us out? Sound like a good idea? Yes. Well, thank you so much, Ronnie, for being with us. Thank you so uh, much. For thank you for all of the I'm so grateful and thank you to everybody who listened and to all you beautiful people who will participate in whatever our strategy session looks like so that we have the most caring community. There are so many different ways that we uplift each other and sometimes it's that really quiet, reflective way and sometimes... It's through, you know, a huge dose of vibrant, incredible energy. And I feel so grateful to have listened to you, Ronnie, and had a dose of that today. So thank you so much. And I was thinking about, oh, my gosh, how do you pick a song to follow that yarn? Because it's, it's a big one. And something that you um, really touched on for me is that the gift is in the giving. And that's something I felt so clearly emanating from you. And I think we can sit in that place when we know who we really are. And so I wrote this song about getting to know yourself. It's called Trade Places. I, I didn't know myself I would have done anything to trade places with anybody else just to get away from those in our conversation. The ones where I tell myself and the old dreams really matter and you'll never live them anyway, but I, I know more. When I'm with my little girl, I need no labels for the world. And I, I have the low. The low I have to live by is the low of my culture. And you, oh, 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 oh. give it up, you spit it out, throw it away. Oh, 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 oh. For some short term fears. In the physical world, oh, oh. No, I create in Solomon's garden. Every night before I go to sleep, I plant the seeds, grow the tallest trees, and I'm no longer afraid of being alone. If my fertile body is my temple, then my quiet mind is my spiritual home, and I, I knew more. When I was just a little girl, I had no labels for the world, and I, I had a low. The low I had to live by was the low of my culture, and you, oh, 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 o
Yeah. 